0: So the answer to that question is yes. Now what shall we do? No. We are, we're going to talk a little bit more about, about that question. And over the next three weeks, we are doing a series focused on the end times. And uh, the reason for it is there's a lot of stuff that goes on, a lot of stuff that goes on in our world. And uh, you go back to like 2020 and you can think of there were a lot of riots going on. We got virus stuff going on. All kinds of different things happening around the world right now. we got wars going on over Ukraine, all that kind of stuff. People kind of wonder, what in the world is going on? Does this have any relationship to the end of all things? And so we just wanted to focus in a little bit on that. And so that's what we're going to be doing over the next three weeks. And so I just want to pray before we dive into the scriptures, okay? So Jesus, we come in your name tonight, and we thank you for the incredible gift of your love and grace to us. Would you just lift all the burden of everything this week? People have been working. They've been doing all kinds of different things. And now they've come into the doors of this building. Maybe they're joining us online. And maybe Monday and Tuesday were really rough. Holy Spirit, would you just come in this moment, silence the voice of everything else out there, and give us the ability to focus in on you, just to feel the power of your spirit, even as we're talking about the end of all things we know that ultimately that's a good thing because that means life eternal with you. So tonight, would you fill us with your hope? Let the power of your word just touch us. God, we pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. Amen. All right. Well, Matthew 24:3 says, here's Jesus talking to his disciples. And it's it says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us what will be the sign of your coming? End of the end of the age. And a lot of people ask that kind of question. When I was growing up, I can remember, my brother was always into this Nostradamus stuff. So if there was a Nostradamus deal on TV or a Nostradamus book or whatever, by the way, Nostradamus is not a prophet of God, so don't read Nostradamus stuff. He was always into that kind of stuff. And uh, <clears throat> I can remember as a little kid, my mom took me to see the local Baptist church. I grew up out in Holland, and they were showing... There was a series of films. There was A Thief in the Night, I think was the first one. Then there was A Distant Thunder, and I think there were a couple more after that. And one of them, I can't remember which was which. All I know is I remember these followers of Jesus, I think in the tribulation period or whatever, and they're trying to take a stand for Christ and they're getting beheaded for it. Do you know how hard it is to sleep at night when you're a little kid after you've watched a movie about people getting beheaded? I mean, I was like, I don't want to be with the bad side, but I also kind of don't want to be the good side because there are the people getting their heads cut off. So I remember seeing those movies, and and I was a little bit too young for this, but there was Hal Lindsey's books, I think, Late Great Planet Earth, Satan's Alive and Well, On I can't remember the titles of all of them. Um, but it was always something, always something when I was growing up. I can remember one of my relatives, somebody all heard me say this, one of my relatives talking to me because everybody's trying to figure out who was the Antichrist? Do you think the Antichrist is alive right now? And who is the Antichrist? So they go to the book of Revelation 13. You get to the end of Revelation 13, and it talks about this number associated well, with this person, and the number is 666. That's what it always gets translated as. So people are always looking for 3-6 stuff. And I can remember one of my relatives saying they thought it might be President Ronald Reagan at the time. Because his name was Ronald Wilson Reagan. Each of the names had six letters in the name. Six, six, six. They were serious. Do you think it's him? And all that kind of stuff going on in 1988. Remember, it was 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come Back in 1988? Pastor Ken and I were talking about that today. It was supposed to be, there was like a three day window when Jesus had to come back. September 11 through 13, 1988. He didn't come back, obviously. And then the new book that came out was like 89 reasons why. It should have been, oops, 89 reasons why Jesus will now return in 1989. My best friend in uh, in high school, growing up, he was the son of a Pentecostal preacher, and the fellowship that they were a part of. A lot of the people in that fellowship thought that they were the one true church. So what they, not all of them believed it, but a lot of them believed it. So they thought. Before Jesus comes back all the real true believers in Jesus are going to come and join our one true church And then Jesus will return for his bride, which is that Denomination not all of them believed it, but a lot of them did and because of that They attached prophetic significance to a lot of things that were just going on in their fellowship And I remember some of them were talking to me saying that because at the time their general superintendent our general superintendent just preached on Sunday and if you didn't hear the message, great message, you need to pull it up and listen to it. But their general superintendent at the time was a lot older than our general superintendent is. So they were talking about when he passes. So because they thought they were the one true church, or at least a lot of them did, a lot of them thought that if Jesus didn't come back first, once their general superintendent dies, that's gonna be the trigger for Jesus to return. So they attached prophetic significance to all that kind of stuff. And then you remember, you get to the, the 90s, and we're approaching the end of the millennium. So we're gonna turn the year 2000. Y'all remember Y2K stuff? I'm gonna be careful, because I might some of y'all might have done some of the things I'm about to make fun of. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So I was living in Virginia at the time, and uh, there was a lot of stuff going on. Because if you remember Y2K, if you don't remember what, was, what that was all about, we were going to flip from 1999 over to 2000. And the thinking was all the computers are built only to go to 1999. So when it flips over to 2000, they're not going to know what those numbers mean. Everything's going to shut down. The grid's going to shut down. The nuclear weapons are going to freeze. Everything's going to just come to a screeching halt. And we're going to be in a world of hurt. So a lot of people where I lived were saying, hey, come with me to my Y2K meeting. And a lot of these meetings were in churches. And uh, so they would talk about and, and it was wise to be ready just in case something like that was was really going to happen, but I had a friend of mine who spent i don 't know how much money buying hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of gallons of kerosene so kerosene and food all over the place, and all the rest of the stuff and my wife and i we we packed up a little bit of stuff, got a little bit of extra food, a little bit of extra water, whatever, just in case something funky happened, but we were that was all that we really did well. He stocked up on all of this kerosene and I'm sitting there because I like to watch the ball drop on New Year's Eve. And there I'm sitting and the ball drops and hits 2,000, not a flicker of a light, not nothing. And I started just rolling, laughing. And my wife was like, what is so funny? So I'm saying, that dude stuck with I don't know how many gallons of kerosene. I don't know what he's going to do with that. I had friends who were considering Here, back in Michigan, I was in Virginia, but I had friends here who were thinking they were gonna sell their house, move out to the country, uh, stock up on MREs. If you don't know what an MRE is, it's a military deal, a meal ready to eat. How many of you have ever eaten an MRE? Oh, a lot of you have. It's horrible. It is just designed to make you survive because it ain't gonna taste good at all. I had one MRE one time. I had a friend who wanted me to become a, a military chaplain. He says, I'm going to give you some MREs so you can see what it's like. I had one which confirmed to me God did not call me to be a military chaplain. I ain't eating. I ain't eaten this stuff. But there were people who were thinking it was going to be really wild. We better stock up. We better move away because we're going to have to survive. There were a lot of things going on at that time. I don't know if you remember that people were all into... Uh, the Bible codes, the Hebrew Bible code stuff. If you were, if, if you, some of those books are real interesting and whatnot, but the Hebrew Bible code deal was that if you read the Hebrew Bible and you do some equidistant letter stuff and whatnot, that all these prophetic things would surface. And I talked to friends of mine who are Hebrew scholars and they love Jesus and they're like, we love the Lord and everything, but there's the Bible code stuff that's not a real deal. God's not trying to hide stuff in the scripture from us. He's put it out there. We got enough trouble living the stuff that's on the surface, let alone worrying about what's underneath the surface, all kinds of stuff that goes on. And you know, it's okay to get a sense of how things are gonna unfold. There's nothing wrong with that. But we can easily get focused on the mysterious and the sensational. Today, there was an article that dropped about blood moons again. And there was a season where that was, there was a lot of people talking about that stuff. And God sometimes does use things in, in the skies and in nature and so forth to communicate certain things. But there was another article that was focused in on this blood moon related to China or whatever, and does this mean that the end is coming? And you know, it's okay to kind of at least be aware, but there's this thing that happens to us when we focus so hard on the sensational and the mysterious. When God is really about the main in the plane, and we're gonna look at scripture tonight, when God talks about the end times, what does he say? What does scripture emphasize? The thing that happens is the people I know who are hyper-focused on that kind of stuff, they can't see the forest for the trees. Meaning they're so caught up in the minutia of what certain things might mean that they miss the bigger picture of what it is God wants to communicate and what he's doing. So let's look at some signs of Jesus coming, some of the big things that God wants us to emphasize. Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. That's where we're going to start because it's a highly important passage about the last days. Now the apostle Peter, the spirit has just been poured out. The apostle Peter is standing up and preaching And he quotes the prophet Joel. If I took you back to the prophet Joel, Joel says these words almost exactly the same, but not quite the same as the apostle Peter. But when Joel says this in his book, it's in association with the day of the Lord, meaning the day when God winds up time, judgment's going to happen, the ultimate day. That's what Joel is talking about. Peter quotes that verse in Acts 2.17 and says, and it shall be in the last days That last days part is not in Joel. The day of the Lord stuff is, but Peter reinterprets it and applies it because he can see what's going on and says in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions. Old men will have dreams and even on my male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. That tells us, The last days began with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So are we in the last days? Yes. We're in the last days because that's the biggest sign of the last days is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And Peter recognizes it. He knows what Joel said, and he sees the Spirit being poured out like it's never been poured out before, and he rightly says, in the last days, this is what is key for the last days. So the biggest sign of the last days is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. This is the sign the disciples were looking for. They were not watching for earthquakes. I'm not saying Jesus doesn't mention earthquakes. They weren't watching for particular wars or nations to make certain moves. And there are things in Scripture, I believe, about how nations will be characterized throughout history, the role that they may play in the last times. But that's not what the disciples of Jesus were looking for. They were looking for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as the primary key sign that the last days had begun. And Joel's not the only one that references this. If you read Jeremiah 31 or you read Isaiah 59, 21 or you read Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, verse 26, it's not on the screen, but he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The thing that the people of Israel were focused on, were looking for, was the spirit active in God's people. Now, a lot of the religious leaders missed it. They couldn't get it. They missed Jesus and all that stuff. But Jesus' followers understood this he's put his spirit within us. This is the last days. And you know, each one of the four gospels says a certain thing about Jesus. Every one of them does. If you read the gospel, sometimes certain gospel accounts will include some stories, but they'll leave out other stories. But there are a few things that show up in all four gospels. And one of the things that shows up is that John the Baptist says something about Jesus. And what he says is there's one coming after me who is mightier than I am. I can't untie his shoes. He has existed before me, he's greater than I am. And here's what he will do he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That was characteristic of Jesus. And that's characteristic of what the end of days looks like. Now, what we can do, though, is go, okay, so I know that the Spirit is a sign of the, of the last days. It started in the first century then when the Spirit was poured out on the disciples. Okay, now let me get back to focusing on this other stuff that's mysterious and really interesting. We can't do that. And the reason why we can't do that is because of folk, instead of focusing on mysterious signs and all the rest of that stuff, We've got to focus on the work of the Spirit around the world and the work of the Spirit in us. See, God wants me to be less concerned about world and historical events. Not that they don't matter, not that there can't ever be any significance to them, but his emphasis isn't on those events. He wants me to be more concerned about the work of the Spirit in my life. That's what I need to be concerned about. Because here's what happens. People focus on the sensational all the time are the most likely to be deceived, actually. In the 1970s, there was a great theologian, and he was focusing in on trying to understand the occult and the powers of darkness and how to deal with it and what's the truth about it. And he amassed the biggest library at the time on the occult. And he was hyper-focused on it. That was his issue But there became another issue in his life, which was as he focused in on this, he let other things into his life. Eventually fell into uh, sexual sin with someone, and then the very thing that he was studying to try to understand, guess what he got all wrapped up in? Because he was hyper-focused on this area instead of being hyper-focused on God himself and what the Spirit wanted to do in his life. And We don't want to be people like that that are so focused on some of these other things that are interesting and they may have a role in certain things, but that's not what God is highlighting for us. Focus on the work of the spirit around the world and in you. And if you will do that, when the sensational stuff does happen, then you're going to have ears tuned in to the Holy Spirit to be able to know what is true and what is not true. So the first and biggest sign of the last days is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it's still going on. So last week we prayed for spirit baptism. Pastor Jeremiah was talking about it. Those of you that prayed for that, keep praying for that. Those of you that have received that, that's great. Keep being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Keep being people who are constantly being filled with the Spirit. Every time, every time you do that, when that becomes your focus, you are living as an end times person. That's what it means to live as an end-time person, to be a person filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's the first sign, but there is another sign that I want to give to you as well, and that is this, evil will increase. So the Spirit's going to be poured out, but evil will increase. In 2 Timothy 3, there's another passage that mentions the last times. So we want to see what does God say when he mentions the last times? Here's what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, that's a big one right there, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, Not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. I love that line, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Number one, this is just a representative list. Now, Paul wrote a long list there, but it's just a representative list. I'm sure there are other things that you could throw in there. But that's just a representative list. And listen, since the last days began 2,000 years ago, this kind of stuff's been characteristic of any church period. We've had people like this all throughout the history of Christianity. And for many of us, some of the things on this list we have done, some of us could still be doing some of these things. This can speak to any time in history and can cover a whole lot of people and and we get to the end there on verse 5, and he says, having the appearance of godliness, that tells us these could be people in the church. These could be people sitting in pews, but they do what they do, but religion is just a cover-up for, for what they do. That's really not who they are. They may come to church every week. They may be a part of whatever, but their religion is really a cover for something else, and they're really characterized by this kind of stuff. Paul says this kind of stuff is characteristic of the end times, in fact, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 13, he even talks about evil people and imposters going from bad to worse. He calls them imposters. These evil imposters are religious people. That's why they are imposters. They're pretending to be one thing, but they really aren't that thing at all. Even people who try to lead other people uh, who say one thing, but they're really characterized by that list we just read. And this was common in Paul's day, and it's going to be the same for us. Man, in Matthew chapter 13, there's a parable that Jesus tells. And the parable is that there was a guy who went out, and he sowed wheat into the field. And then when he went to sleep at night, some enemies came, and they sowed weed stuff in the field. And when he and his servants woke up in in the morning, they noticed this stuff, or when the harvest came, uh, they noticed that there were weeds coming up with the wheat. And the servants were like, we need to go out there and pull those weeds up, because we just want the wheat. And And the guy said, don't. Don't go do that. Just let the weeds and the wheat grow together. And then at the end, we'll go collect the harvest because we don't want to destroy some of the wheat by just going out to try to focus on the weeds. Meaning, Jesus was saying, using this parable to say, they're going to be evil with us all the time. There's going to be evil and good side by side all the time. And can I tell you that evil and good is even going to be in the context of the church? That's characteristic of the last days that evil's going to be going on all the time. And we can expect that there's going to be an ongoing presence and influence of evil, but we've got to trust in the end, Jesus is going to take care of all that stuff. There is a judgment seat of Christ. There is a judgment seat of Christ. The thing is, is we know that Jesus told us this and that Paul said in the last days, this is what's going to characterize some people, but we still get shocked when we see stuff. We get shocked when we see evil around us, especially because the context we live in has been very blessed. We really do live in a very blessed country. So when stuff happens in our country that we think should be happening somewhere else, it shocks us. And then we think, boy, the end must really be coming soon. The rest of the world may be experiencing it already, but when we experience it in this context, it's shocking. And I understand that because I get shocked at stuff too. But both Jesus and Paul said, you should expect that. Expect there are going to be evil going on. Expect there are going to be evil people in your midst. There's going to be that influence around. And just because I don't deal with those people immediately right now, doesn't mean I won't deal with those people. He will deal with those people. Like I said, there is a judgment seat of Christ. I always tell people that I would like to have a comment at the judgment seat of Christ on some people. I've I know, it's not very nice, but I think Jesus, because you know, Jesus says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. There really is coming a day of judgment. And sometimes I think, yeah, but Jesus, I'd like to see judgment now on some people. But if I have to wait till the judgment seat, am I allowed to raise my hand? I got a comment before you judge so and so. But Jesus will have his judgment seat and he'll judge righteously and right. We just need to know that for now, when you see evil around you, you're gonna to have to entrust that to him and just understand that Jesus has a plan that's greater than ours. And even if he told us why he does things the way he does, it wouldn't be good enough for our finite human minds. We've got to just entrust it to him. The thing is, is you we think we get shocked at stuff in our country, but if you talk to some of our brothers and sisters around the world, they would say, we'll take your version of bad anytime over what we have. My wife and I have relatives in. And uh, they live in a country where they cannot get up on Sunday morning and go to church and worship because it's illegal. So their church happens every Sunday in their house. And that's all that they can do. They're full on believers in Jesus. They love the Lord when they come out of that country and come visit us back in the States. They're just like you are. They love to worship. They love to be in church. They. Uh, They're raising their kids to follow Jesus, but they have to do their church in the context of their house, and none of us have to do that. I get to get up on Sunday morning, drive my car here. I can walk in the church without worrying about who sees me. We get to work with an amazing worship team. They have nothing like that. Their worship has to be quiet. They can't just let out songs. They can't just sing loudly. We're shocked by some of the things that we experience, but our brothers and sisters around the world they're experiencing a rise in evil that's a whole lot different than we are. And I think it just, we need to be grateful, but also to realize, you know, a good and evil is gonna be side by side. It's gonna be an ebb, it's gonna be a flow. Sometimes things will be better. Sometimes things will be worse. Okay, but the general trajectory is gonna be one of decline because an increase in evil is indicative of the last days. But remember, Jesus is building his church. So he says, I'm gonna build my church. The gates of hell, they're not gonna overcome my church. There may be an ebb and a flow, an up and a down, and things may seem really good, then really bad, but he will not have his church be defeated by hell itself. He won't. And so I'm not telling you not to care. I'm not telling you that you, you should just become numb to stuff. What I'm saying is, don't be shocked when you see evil. Be a light, be a prophetic voice to the world that is around you. So two signs you need to look for. The outpouring of the Spirit's a big one. Understand that there's going to be a rise in evil. Here's the third thing. Faithful people will fall away. Faithful people will fall away. Matthew chapter 24. Now in Matthew 24, there's a whole lot going on. And there's a whole lot more that can be unpacked in one, in one night here. But I want to highlight these verses starting at number nine. It says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now this stuff has happened all throughout church history, but the closer we get to the end of the age, the more this stuff is gonna happen. I want you to think about this part where it says, false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Deuteronomy chapter 13 actually defines what a false prophet is for us. A lot of people think a false prophet is somebody who prophesies to try to tell what's going to happen in the future, and if they miss it, then they're a false prophet because their prophecy didn't come true. That's not how scripture defines a false prophet. Scripture does talk about prophets that miss, and it happened in the Old Testament and the New, but that's not what made a prophet a false prophet. What made a prophet a false prophet is someone who claims to speak for God. But actually leads people away from him. That's what a false prophet looks like in scripture. And we've got examples from, from our time. Uh, y'all remember, some of y'all remember Jim Jones? late 70s. I can remember being over my grandma's house every day. We'd be watching uh, ABC World News tonight, and they'd always be talking about what was going on around the world. That was a huge story. If you don't know who Jim Jones was, uh, he was a guy who just wrapped himself in the name of Jesus and took the scriptures and just preached craziness. And They moved down to uh, Guyana and named their little compound Jonestown, and Jim Jones (laughs) preached his deal and when things didn't work out like he wanted to, you can watch, you can read books, there's documentaries out there on it. But when things didn't go the way he wanted them to go, and I'm sure there was a lot of things going in his head that were really not good. Then he, uh, he got over 900 people to drink basically Kool-Aid with cyanide in it, and they all died. Kids, women, the guys, everybody, and then Jim Jones was all sudden done, took his own life. That was a false prophet who used the name of Jesus to actually lead people away from Jesus and ultimately to their death. A later one was in the 1990s, David Koresh in, uh, in Waco, Texas, preached the Bible, but led people away from Jesus, not to Jesus. That's what a false prophet looks like. But how in the world do people get led astray by this kind of stuff? How do they do it? There's two things. Remember it said in this passage, the love of many will go cold. First, there's a departure of love. You don't know how people get deceived and led astray? There's a departure of love. This is love for God. You watch a false prophet, and it's not just people who move to compounds and have you drink cyanide or Kool-Aid or whatever. Um, Those things do happen, but it can be you sitting in your living room watching someone on TV, and still the false prophet spirit is on them. So you know how false prophets relate to love growing cold for God? False prophets want you to love them and they want to be the only or the main voice that you listen to. That's what they want to be. There's a departure of love and false prophets want to draw your love away from Jesus, draw your love to them. They're not going to say it that way. But if you've got someone that's all self-aggrandizing about themselves, if you look at some of the extreme versions, you'll see that it was all about the false prophet. They were in charge. Everything they said had to be obeyed. They would take the wives away from the husbands, and suddenly the false prophet has every woman in the compound or whatever, because it's all about the false prophet, not engendering love for Jesus, engendering love for him or herself. So there's the departure of love for God. The second thing is departure from the truth. First Timothy talks about the Spirit saying that in later times, people will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Listen, these deceiving teachers, they do not care that they're spiritually destroying people. They don't. And the thing is, is because they can wrap themselves in the name of Jesus and because they might use a Bible... People who are being deceived don't even know it. That's why the word is deception. They don't even know they're being deceived. You want a good barometer for are you on a path toward deception? What's your love for God look like? And are you really adhering to the truth? Are you really adhering to the... And it doesn't require even false prophets. We can be deceived all on our own. You know, Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the human heart's the most deceitful of all things gets desperately wicked. We can deceive ourselves all on our own. That's why Pastor Sam and all of us are always emphasizing you need to be here on a regular basis. You need to be in the house on Sunday. You need to be a part of a small group. You need to be committed to the body of Christ. And the reason is this, if you come one time a month, because I think the statistics are that people think regular church attendance means I come once, maybe twice a month. And I think, that I'm a regular church attender. Here's the deal, though. You come one time a month, and you really enjoy Pastor Sam's message. He's a great communicator. He's got spiritual truth, excuse me, spiritual truth that he's preaching. But if you come one time a month, there are 30 other days of the month for your heart and mind to be filled with everything else. And you are primed for the picking. That's why you need people in your life. That's why you need to have a constant uh, feeding of the scriptures. That's why you need to be here worshiping. There's no replacement for worshiping because there's something bigger than you are. It's, it's God himself. And every time you come and humble yourself and worship, you're orienting your heart to love God and you're setting yourself up to walk in his truth. And what's amazing is that, at least in my experience, that the people most hardened in deception are the people who have just enough exposure to biblical truth to think that they're Okay. So maybe they come once, maybe twice a month, or maybe they read this book or listen to this tape series or whatever, and uh, they've got just enough truth to think, okay, I'm good, but they're primed for the picking for everything else. Be a part of what's going on here. Don't be led astray, not by someone else, and not by your own fallen heart. So there are three signs I've given you that when Scripture talks about the last days, this is the stuff it emphasizes. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit, which is great. There is gonna be an increase of evil. Faithful people will fall away. Here's the fourth thing. The spirit of Antichrist will spread deception. The spirit of Antichrist will spread deception. 2 John verse 7 says, Many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you've worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead doesn't abide by the teaching of Christ. They don't have God, but whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So Scripture does speak about a man of lawlessness. Get that question a lot. Do you think the Antichrist is alive? I have no idea. I don't. He could be. Because there really is a man of lawlessness that Scripture speaks about. But the challenge is the spirit of Antichrist that's already active is just as dangerous as the individual that everybody's waiting for. And what does the spirit of Antichrist look like? This spirit denies who Jesus was and what he did. It essentially denies the gospel because if Jesus did not come in the flesh, remember it said those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. If If Jesus does not come in the flesh, then he cannot actually die. He cannot be resurrected from the dead. That means he is not Lord of all and that is the essence of our faith. If this is the case, if you can undercut the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done, then something else can move into his place because the word anti in Greek, if you were to take New Testament Greek, anti-Christou, anti anti-Christ. if you were to actually translate that out, anti just doesn't mean the opposite of. And we think of anti meaning there's Christ in, and then the polar opposite is the antichrist. Well, there's a sense in which that's true, but the word anti also means instead of. The Antichrist individual, when he comes, doesn't want to just be Jesus' opposite. He wants to take the place of Jesus. That's what Antichrist means. The spirit of Antichrist wants to do that too. It wants to undercut who Jesus is and what he's done, and it's actually undercutting the gospel. There are actually religious leaders who spread this kind of stuff. There are people I see in Christian denominations with their titles, their reverend reverent in front of their name, sometimes letters after it, and they actually deny that Jesus actually walked in the flesh, that he actually died, or that he actually was resurrected, or that he actually was born of a virgin. And these are people who have reverend in front of their name. They're actually operating in the spirit of Antichrist, because the gospel is this, that the kingdom of God has come in the life in the teachings and the miracles and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is Israel's Messiah and he is the Lord of all. That's the gospel. But if Jesus doesn't show up and you undercut who he is and what he's done, the gospel means nothing. And people will remain lost in their sins. And the thing is is if we def- if we focus on sensational other stuff like demonic signs and wonders. And I know those things exist. And I know they're a part of of end time stuff. But if we focus just on that, then we're going to miss what the spirit of Antichrist is really trying to do. Because it's very subtle and it is very deadly. So while sometimes we can be focused on, is the Antichrist alive? Which, okay, I know it's an interesting question. Or what about this nation? Or what about this thing? The reality is, is, again focusing and seeing, missing the forest for the trees, because we miss the deadly subtle influence of the spirit of Antichrist. That's the fourth thing, but there's one more thing that's a key to understanding signs of the last times, and that is this, and I love this one, the gospel will spread with power. That is a sign of the end. Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That is the greatest sign of the end times, is the spread of the gospel. The first one and the last one are the biggest things you should watch. Watch the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Watch the spread of the gospel. Instead of focusing on what evil powers are doing, listen, you realize that Satan is nothing compared to Jesus. You realize that the evil signs and wonders he can work are nothing compared to to God. Remember in Exodus, when you had the magicians of, uh, of Pharaoh trying to compete with Moses and Aaron, it was great. I love how Moses and Aaron, you throw the rod down, it becomes a snake and swallows up their snakes. Everything that they, they thought they could do everything that Moses and Aaron could do, but they could not. God toyed with them for just a little bit and then pff, smashed them. The wonders and works that God wants to do through pouring out his spirit Using you to spread the gospel are so much greater than even focusing in on some of the strange evil bizarre stuff That sometimes people can instead of looking for that. We should be looking for a revival That's a sign of the end when you see revival happening That's when you should be looking up because this is one of the greatest signs of the last days that the spread of the gospel will happen in power Jesus and his mission are the focus of the last days. That's the focus. And next week, we're going to be talking about how do we handle some of the timing? What kind of stuff is going to be going on? We're going to focus on some of those things and answer some of those questions. But when the scripture talks about the end times and are we living in the last days and what are the signs of it, this is the stuff that scripture emphasizes because it's always focused on God and his mission and everything else, the anything the enemy does is incidental to that, because it's about God and His mission. And so, since since Jesus is the focus, we're going to worship. Since Jesus is the focus and His mission is the focus, we're going to worship. I love Revelation five five. And there's these scrolls that have to be open. And Revelation is a highly symbolic book, but there's these scrolls that have to be open, and there's just this this agony because who's worthy to open the scrolls? And there's this line in Revelation 5, 5 that says that the lion of Judah has triumphed. And that's what makes him worthy to do all that he does. And as we're approaching every day, we get closer to Jesus coming back. I'm ready for him to come back now. One time I was driving down the road and the sky got really funky and I thought, is this it? And I actually looked up. I really did. I leaned forward and I looked up nothing happened. Oh, come on, man. Every second that you live, you get closer to the time when Jesus will come back. The lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed over all evil, no matter what any antichrist figure does, no matter what happens in Israel, no matter what happens with the nations, wars, rumors of wars, all that stuff. Jesus is the focus. So we're gonna worship. When we get toward the end, uh, before we dismiss, then we'll, we'll have a time of prayer and so forth. But before we go to a time of prayer, I want you to stand with me. And I want us just to focus in on Jesus and give our worship to him. So Jesus, if you really are the focus of end times, if you really are the focus of all that we're supposed to be about, in this place, then we come into alignment with your word. And we're gonna exalt you. We're gonna lift you up in this place. And God, I pray for those who've come into this room and they've been concerned about stuff going on around them and they see everything happen and inflation and wars and all that stuff and wondering, what am I going to do? Is this the end of all things? Jesus, would you just come in this moment, bring your peace, pour out your spirit on your people, even in this room tonight as we worship in your name, Jesus. That's how we do it. Amen. So church... Would you join Dane and the worship team as we worship?